Hello and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast where we think you're beautiful just the way you are. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. But maybe like some mascara though? It might help. Get a shot. Neg our entire audience. Webster's Dictionary defines cosmetics as a product a product applied to the body, especially to the face, to improve its appearance. Now, we're just jumping right in, huh? No, I needed to read that definition so I could jump into my episode caveat because I seem to always have one these days. Uh, humans have been using makeup for a very long time for a variety of reasons. Religious, to enhance beauty, to promote good health though that has been negligible in some cases. Um, But today we're kind of trapped in a society where there's something to fix everything that is conceivably quote-unquote wrong with you. And uh, that's stupid. I love, I love, my favorite thing is finding out things that are wrong with me and the product I can buy to fix it. Yeah. So... Nothing. You don't need to fix anything, but also if you want to use makeup for whatever the fuck you want to use makeup for, like, do it. You know? I love makeup. Yeah. I think it's very fun. I like putting stuff on my face. And other people do too. But just know that just because Revlon says that your nose is fucked up and needs to be, like, redrawn on your face, that's not <laughs> true. Like, your nose is fine. It is your nose. Your nose is fine. Stop worrying about your eyebrows. They look great. But if you want to fuck with your eyebrows, like, do it. I don't care. So that's kind of... I'm not promoting (laughs) the use of makeup in the way that we have been promoting the use of makeup for thousands of years. Anyway. Oh, and, like, if you're a boy and you want to wear makeup, obviously do that. Yes, do that. Have you seen Travis McElroy? That's exactly who I was going to reference right now because um i guess i should just get to my sources because that is tangentially related so uh my main sources were face paint by lisa elridge which is a real book uh and it's super cool because she organizes it by color and the use of that color through history i love that so there's like a section on white red and black and then um more modernized history it's a great book that's so cool i gotta look that up um, and then The History of Makeup, an article on how stuff works by Molly Edmonds, A History of Cosmetics from Ancient Times, which is an article on cosmeticsinfo.org. <laughs> I don't have an author for that. Um, an article titled The Hottest Makeup Trends from Every Decade of the 20th Century by Jessica M. Thomas, uh, which was on, uh, I can't remember which site. Uh, and then the makeup episode of Schmanners. Oh, of course. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I had my whole, like, there's nothing wrong with you thing before, but also I realized how gendered makeup has been throughout, not even throughout, like, it became very gendered, and so when I reference, like, what men and women do and stuff, like, that's their phrasing, not mine, like, do what you want. Right. I was, was makeup, one of those things, and maybe you're going to answer this, but, like, men would do it, and then women picked up on it, and they were like, I don't want to do this anymore because the ladies are into it. No, um, well, it depends on the society. Like, for the most part, uh, as we get into modern society, it became more of a lady thing. But that has to do a lot, at least in, like, 
Western culture, specifically England and the United States, was some asshole named Bo Brummel, um, who was a dandy in the Victorian era, kind of. Um, but he couldn't afford, like, the general, like, fancy shit that, like, men in France and stuff were wearing. And he was like, no, but real men don't wear makeup or jewelry. And that just kind of took off. Uh, uh, because he couldn't afford shit. So uh, Of course. That all tracks. He's like the anti-David Bowie. But I, that's actually the only time I'm going to mention him in this episode. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say, live your life so no one will ever describe you as the anti-David Bowie. Make yeah. that your goal. <laughs> that's something you never want to be. I'm also going to use the word cosmetics a lot because uh, the word makeup didn't come into play until like the 20th century. Go figure. We're going to start in the BCs. Oh, boy. We're really going back. Uh, also, I, I mostly cover Europe. I do mention uh, some, like, Middle Eastern and uh, Asian countries a little bit, but that there, it's its own episode, especially Japan. Like, holy oh, shit. Yeah. So cosmetic usage throughout history uh, can be indicative of a civilization's concerns, such as protection from the sun, uh, indication of class, conventions of beauty. It's primarily the, primarily the last one uh, that has been the driving force behind makeup for a while. Sounds about right. Um, but like I said, we're going to start by going over a couple ancient cultures that started using cosmetics and then really like zero in on the European American timelines. So the first use of cosmetics is usually traced back to the ancient Egyptians, <laughs> the innovators behind many things we know and love today. <laughs> I was going to say, when you think, when I think ancient makeup, Egypt, top of mind. Best eye makeup. Easily. Um, yeah, many Egyptian tombs contain makeup containers and kits. Uh, Cleopatra used lipstick that got its hue from ground carmine beetles, which we still use today. Cool. Yeah, and it accounts for why a number of cosmetics can't be labeled as strictly vegan. Right. Um, which it, we'll also talk about a little Lots bit later. Lots of dead bugs and fish? Yeah, ground up bugs and fish scales uh, can give uh, some red makeups their color, and it also gives some makeups their shine. But that can also be achieved using uh, mica powder, which is just mineral. Right. So the lipstick Cleopatra used was red. It was red, yes. Okay. Not um, what I would picture from Ground Up Beetles, but... Yeah, you know. Uh, other women in the time period used clay mixed with water to color their lips, so like a nice terracotta lip stain. Mm. But most notable was the ancient Egyptians' use of coal. K-O-H-L. Uh, both men and women would paint their face with coal, which was a mixture of metal, lead, copper, ash, and burnt almonds. That all sounds fine. Put that on your face. Uh, they used it like an eyeliner, and also kind of in the way that, like, football players put shit under their eyes. Oh, yeah, to reduce the glare coming off your cheekbones. Yeah, actually. Um, the circles of coal were meant to ward off the evil eye endangered spirits and were also used uh, to deflect the desert sun since black absorbs the light and makes it a little bit easier to see, which, like you said, is why football players use it. Yeah, I know a thing about football. Yeah, those those sharp, sharp Egyptian cheekbones just, like, reflected the sun right into their eyes. Uh, more recently, scientists have determined that the coal makeup may have helped Egyptians ward off infectious diseases since the lead would kill off bacteria. <laughs> and also poison your blood. Yeah, if the Egyptians had longer lifespans, the lead might have eventually killed them off <laughs> as well. Uh, since lead is not good. No. I do... Oh, I don't... I can't say I like it, but 
I very much enjoy that uh that's the lead only killed or the lead didn't kill them because something else killed them first. Yeah, because ancient times killed them. Um because right. being alive in the BC times. <laughs> you will find lead comes up a lot in this episode. Oh, boy. Uh, Egyptian women also applied uh, something called galena mesdement, which was made of copper and lead ore, and malachite, which was a bright green paste of copper minerals, to their faces for color and definition. So they were basically using this lead metal makeup to contour and make their faces fancier. Because, like, ever since the beginning of time, like, humans have thought bright colors were cool and fun. (laughs) Yeah. Who wouldn't want to, like, enhance and emphasize... Uh, Cosmetics were also used in ancient Persia and what is now modern-day Iran. Uh, Much like the Egyptians, they were very fond of coal, since it was also very hot and sunny in that part of the world. Uh, After Persian tribes converted to Islam and conquered those areas, uh, cosmetics became a little more restricted. But they were only restricted if the cosmetics were intended to disguise a real look in order to mislead or cause uncontrollable desire. (laughs) because you know if you see a lady with lipstick on all bets are off yep Uh, in islamic law despite these requirements there is no absolute prohibition on wearing cosmetics they just can't be made of substances that harm one's body so that's a good rule it does get a little dicey on account of all the lead um yeah this is the thing though like they didn't know what caught what hurt the body, right? So, like, well, I mean, <clears throat> there were things that they thought hurt the body, right. which turned out to be wrong, and things that they thought were good for the body, which turned out to be wrong. So, <laughs> so it's a good rule in theory. Yeah, it's I don't know. It's a flexible law. There's loopholes. Uh, Chinese people began staining their fingernails with. Um, gelatin, beeswax, and egg whites starting around 3000 BC. That's an interesting little recipe that I kind of want to try. The colors used represented social class because everything fucking did. I mean, it's kind of half the point of makeup in those days, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, In the Chow Dynasty, the first millennium BC, uh, royals wore gold and silver, and later royals would wear black or red. Lower classes were forbidden from wearing bright colors on their nails. Which, having gone to a Catholic school, I can relate to. What color do you have in your nails right now? Um, it is like a green, it's a, like, green, silver, sparkle. It's uh, called Mermaid. That is on brand. Yep. It's uh, one of those Butter London polishes that I bought. Oh, I love Butter London. It is fucking amazing. It has not chipped at all. Yeah. They're, it's pricey, but it's, like, worth it. I actually got it for 10 bucks on Amazon. Nice. Yeah. I also got uh, Lilac Ice, I think it's called. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, first recommendation of the episode. (laughs) So flowers also play an important role in Chinese aesthetics, like not just in cosmetics, but in in life. Um, If y'all ever seen Mulan, the historically accurate film. The documentary Mulan. So yeah, uh, flowers play an important role in Chinese aesthetics. And legend has it that uh, once on the seventh day of the first lunar month, which I think is March 7th. Sure. I can't remember when Chinese New Year is. I think it's like the beginning of February. That sounds right. Uh, anyway, uh, Princess Xu Yang, uh, daughter of Emperor Wu of that time period that this story takes place in, which it didn't specify, 
Uh, anyway, she was resting under the eaves of the palace near plum trees, um, and a plum blossom drifted down onto her face, leaving a floral imprint on her forehead that enhanced her beauty further. Uh, the court ladies were so impressed that they started decorating their own foreheads with a small, delicate plum blossom design, um, which you can see. I'm going to send you a link. Maybe it's just my basic-ass uh, American research, but I, I feel like a lot of Chinese stuff is, like, unspecified time period uh, stories. Obviously, that picture will, or a picture will be on the Instagram. For sure. Um, so that was a, a trend in China. Um, we should bring that back. <laughs> We, the, the white ladies, should bring that back? Yeah, no one would have a problem with that. No one. Uh, women of royal families in Mongolia painted red spots on the center of their cheeks right under their eyes. And Wikipedia says it's a mystery why they did this, but my educated guess uh, is that it plays the same role as blush does now, which it gives a youthful, healthy appearance. Um, well, and so also, like, maybe they just thought it looked cool. Yeah. You don't need a reason for everything. No, but you will find that a lot of makeup over the, well, at least until we hit, like, Elizabethan and Victorian times, because what the fuck. But a lot of it was making yourself look youthful and fertile, because that is a thing. That's important in olden times, and definitely, definitely not, not a concern now. <laughs> Youth a thing now? No. We like your ladies old and not presidents. Oh, cut that out. I don't want to think about it either. Um, in Japan, geishas wore lipstick made of crushed safflower petals. They also painted their eyebrows and edges of their eyes, as well as the lips, um, with sticks of wax. The The wax that they used was actually just a softer version of the same wax that sumo wrestlers used in their hair. Oh. Yeah. And then they put rice powder on their face and back to give them, like, a very pale look. And then used uh, rouge to contour uh, the eye sockets and define the nose. Uh, they then used black paint to color their teeth. Uh, like, really? Yeah, uh, as far as I could tell, because I did look into that a little, because I was like, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Things that were shiny and black were considered to be very beautiful in Japan. So, like, oh, onyx okay. and, like, that kind of thing. So, making I mean, they're not wrong. yeah. So they did it to their teeth. I feel like that would be an unpleasant mouthfeel. Yeah, I mean, I've used uh, tooth wax before, like as a um, like stage makeup, and it's it's not great. Must be distracting. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just have like a layer over, like if you're trying to make your teeth look dirty or if you're trying to make it look like a tooth is uh, missing. Right. Geishas would also sometimes use bird droppings to uh, achieve a lighter skin color. Yes, what you got, I guess. <laughs> that's not even the grossest thing we're going to talk about. Okay, so that's my kind of brief rundown of things in, in Asia and the Middle East. Um, so I'm going to focus in on developments in Europe and eventually the U.S. because there are a lot of cultures and I needed to stick to one and this seemed like the one that... I'm sorry. I expected you to cover the history of makeup for all cultures in all countries everywhere. I spent two pages on ancient Rome. We don't have the kind of time. So ancient Rome. It's a whole fucking thing. Because Rome is one of the first places in, like, the Western society that, like, had society. Like, they, you know, were advanced and organized. Right. Them in, like, Greece. 
Um, and Greece kind of echoed them a little bit, but I couldn't find as much information as readily. So I'm going to get pretty in-depth on Rome. Uh, so cosmetics were a big deal for women, especially sex workers and the wealthy, which, you know, crossover, you don't kind of expect. Yep. Um, some fashionable cosmetics, such as those imported from Germany, Gaul, and China, were so expensive that a law called the Lex Opia tried to limit their use in 189 BCE. So you may be asking, what the fuck was the Lex Opia? I'm glad you asked, fellow 99 percenters. Emily, what, what the fuck's the Lex Opia? The Lex Opia was the first of a series of sumptuary laws which were laws that tried to regulate consumption because of morality or an attempt to rein in wealth. And it restricted not only a woman's wealth, but also her displays of wealth. Specifically, it forbade any woman to possess more than half an ounce of gold, to wear a multicolored garment, particularly trimmed in purple, or to ride in an animal-drawn vehicle in the city or any town within a mile thereof, except in the case of public religious festivals. Did this apply just to women? Or are these yes. The Don't worry, because there were some laws that applied to all of the rich people, but the Lexopia was specifically geared towards what women could and could not do to show their wealth. That's... Emily. I know. It's not great. Other Burn it down. <laughs> Burn Rome down? Yes. <laughs> we no, hired not today. live music. <laughs> so, other laws that tried to keep people from waving their money around were the Lex uh, Fania, a statute that limited dinner expenditure, the kind of food that could be offered, and the number of guests, while the Lex Didia was an application of the Lex Fania to the entire, pop, uh, the entire Italian peninsula that imposed sanctions on providers of, as well as guests at, illegal fancy dinners. <laughs> so basically, the Roman government was like, these rich people be too fucking rich. But instead of, like taxing them heavily and making them less rich. They were like, you can keep the money, but you just can't have you more can't than... You can have fun with it? Yeah, pretty much. You can't, like, wave it in the peasants' faces. They're so close, Emily. They're they're so close. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to these laws being, being thrown around, but also maybe just... I would almost... I, I'd kind of rather just raise taxes. Anyway, vote for Bernie. Um... <sighs> These uh, designer brands of makeup spawned cheap knockoffs that were sold to poorer women. We've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Uh, working class women could afford these, but may not have had the time or the enslaved help to apply all of the different makeups. <laughs> I would love to know more about what they were doing that they needed slaves to help. <laughs> I mean, I get that it was, it's not like they walked down to Walmart and bought like a $3.99 compact. Like, I get that. Oh, man. I, I wrote a joke in here and then I chickened out on it at the last minute. Because <laughs> um, the actual line was, but may have not had the enslaved help to apply all of that infectum et ferum, which is wet and wild in Latin. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm mad that you didn't include this. I'm so sorry. May Jupiter forgive me. Um, so yeah, there was a lot. It was a lot of work. It took a lot of time. Fair enough. It's the ancient equivalent of modern day beauty YouTubers needing their husband to help them. <laughs> Scent was also a very important factor of beauty. Uh, women who smelled good were presumed to be healthy due to the... St 
Due to the stench of many of the ingredients used in cosmetics at the time, women often drenched themselves in copious amounts of perfume, much like an Uber driver compensating for something. <laughs> I mean, these are also the same people who uh, thought that, like, if you could cure PMS by, like, putting good smells near your nose and bad smells near your hoo-ha. Yeah, they were real into uh, scents. So, so here's where we really get into, like, the specifics of what these women were doing and why they needed help. Um, pure white skin, a demarcation of the leisure class, or leisure class if you want to be fancy about it. Because only poor people live in the sun. Mm. Yeah, basically. Um, white skin was the most important feature of Roman beauty. Since, and I don't know if you guys know this, but native Italians are not fair-skinned. Not particularly, no. And thus they required whitening makeup to fit the Roman ideal of beauty. I guess if you didn't work in the fields and stuff, you were paler than the people who did. But, I mean, Italians for sure. still, for the most part, at least Southern Italians in Rome, are not white. Um, but it was one of those, like, oh, if I'm a little pale, I'm fancy. But if I'm stark white, I am the fanciest. <laughs> That's kind of where that came from. Women would often prepare their faces with beauty masks prior to applying the makeup. Uh, one recipe called for the application of sweat from sheep's wool, or lanolin, if you're reading the back of your makeup. Ah, that's a thing. They would apply that to the face before bedtime, and it emitted a stench often criticized by men. Boo fucking well, who. Who men, gives a shit? Men emit a stench that's often criticized by <laughs> women and then not listened to, so... <laughs> Uh, other ingredients for these face masks and preparations included juice, seeds, horns, excrement, honey, plants, incense, frankincense, ground oyster shells, onions, poultry fat, white lead, and barley. Not all at once. Oh, uh, also vinegar, bile, animal urine, sulfur, eggs, myrrh, placenta. Slow down. I got to finish writing all these. <laughs> you making your own mask? <laughs> Gonna uh, slather a whole bunch of poop on my face before I go to bed. I'm glad that's the one you decided to go with. <laughs> Bathing in ass's milk was an expensive treatment that worked like a chemical peel and was used by wealthy women. Hmm. Yes, apparently ass's milk is very acidic. So that's great for your face. Yeah, I mean, it's better than uh, vinegar, I guess. Fair. Or onions and poultry fat. <laughs> Or white lead, if we're being completely honest. I was going to say, none of those things sound great, but they all sound better than lead. Yeah. Um, after their baths, they would apply face whiteners such as chalk powder, white marl, crocodile done, or white lead. Of course. Crocodile poop being, you know. Mm. Is it white? Yeah. Really? I believe so. You didn't I'm cover this in sewer pets. Why would I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's a fun piece of trivia. Mm, I am going to regret the uh yep crocodile poops white uh, that was the google um all uh, alligator poop also white um they eat their prey entirely and digest everything but the bones so all they excrete are bones interesting okay anyway that's a fun fact for you <laughs> mm. This episode is disgusting. All right, so white lead. Uh, the Roman recognition that lead was poisonous underscored their point of view on how important white skin was. They knew. They knew and they still did it. They knew and they still did it. Wow. Other ingredients used in whiteners included beeswax, olive oil, rose water, saffron, animal fat, tin, oxide, uh, starch, arugula, cucumber, 
mushrooms, honey, rose leaves, poppies, myrrh, frankincense, almond oil, rose water, lily root, water, parsnips, and eggs. Sounds like a great salad. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the first things I listed are still good for your skin. Yeah. Um, I mean, I use rose water and sometimes almond oil, and I think my face wash has, like, mushroom in it. Uh, the Romans disliked wrinkles, freckles, sunspots, skin flakes, and blemishes. Sores and freckles were treated with ashes of snails. Okay. I mean, it's 2020 and we're still fucking putting snails on our face, so... Yeah. At least we're not burning them first. Uh, the Romans pasted soft leather pa- patches uh, directly over their blemishes to pretend that they were beauty marks, which we will cover again shortly. Sounds familiar. Mm. Non-head hair was also considered unattractive on Roman women. As a result, they removed hair by either shaving, plucking, stripping, using a resin paste, or scraping with a pumice stone. Ow. Older women faced ridicule for this uh, because it was viewed primarily as preparation for sex, and why would older women have sex? (laughs) What? Maybe they just didn't want to have a mustache. Maybe society still judges you for these things. Maybe. (sighs) Although Romans esteemed pale faces, a light pink on the cheeks was considered to be attractive, signifying, like we've said before, good health. Youth and vitality. Sources of rouge included uh, Tyrian vermilion rose and poppy petals, red chalk, and crocodile dung again. I don't know where they're getting all this multicolored shit. I didn't didn't Google. Is it just that like they use like crocodile dung is white? So I could imagine they use that as kind of like the base, and the then base, like and then mix, mix in something some, like, with it to make it red. Yeah, that makes more sense than just multicolored. And then you put it on poop. your face. Yeah, red ochre, which is a more expensive blush, was imported from Belgium and ground against a stone into powder. And despite widespread knowledge that cinnabar and red lead were poisonous, they were both still used extensively. Uh, cheap alternatives included mulberry juice and wine dregs. Also, like less poisonous yeah it's one of the few times in history when the cheap version of something is actually better for you (laughs) source i bought cheap chinese nail polish and i had an allergic reaction for four months let's move on to the eyes now that we've smeared literally a bunch of shit and plants onto (laughs) our faces literally Uh, the ideal eyes from the roman perspective were large with long eyelashes pliny the elder oh this fucker (laughs) He was wrong about unicorns. He was wrong. Was This is just me spitballing, but it was like, is he just like the one guy who comes through? Because like his writing survives. So we just, everything we know comes from him. Yeah. His name pops up a lot is what I mean, I'm saying. Yeah. He had a lot of opinions on a lot of stuff. He was like the Stephen King of uh, opinions, <laughs> just constantly putting them out. Um so Pliny the Elder wrote that eyelashes fell out from excessive intercourse. <sighs> and so it was especially important for women to keep their eyelashes long to, prov- to prove their chastity. Thanks, Pliny! Of course. Uh, coal was the main ingredient in eye makeup and was composed of ashes or soot and antimony, which is a metal, um, with saffron usually added to improve the smell. Uh, coal was applied using a rounded stick made of ivory, glass, bone, or wood that would be dipped in either oil or water first uh, before being used to apply the powder. <laughs> the Romans preferred dark eyebrows that almost met in the center. Uh, this effect was achieved by darkening the eyebrows with antimony, or soot, and then extending them inward. I can't wait for that look to come back in again. Uh, they would also like sometimes glue 
hair to the to make the unibrow a little more prominent. So like mouse hair. Okay. Yeah, like a little fake fake eyebrow. Um, plucking began in the first century BCE to tidy their overall look. So you wanted a unibrow, but you wanted a sleek unibrow. Right. Interesting combination. Hmm. And here's where it gets a little bit better. <laughs> and then it's going to get a lot Will worse. It? Okay. Um, obviously, oral hygiene was nowhere near the standards we have today. Uh, however, white teeth were prized by Romans, so false teeth made from bone, ivory, and paste, I don't know what was in said paste, uh, were popular items. Uh, Ovid wrote in the statement, You can do yourself untold damage when you laugh if your teeth are black, too long, or irregular. Romans also used baking soda to fight bad breath. Oh, that's a thing that we still do. Yeah. Uh, like I said before, perfumes were very popular in ancient Rome, mostly to cover the stink of all of the makeup. Um, in fact, they were so heavily used that Cicero claimed, unasked, <laughs> that the right scent for a woman is none at all. No one fucking asked you, Cicero. Fuck you, Cicero. Uh, perfumes came in liquid, solid, and sticky. I don't know what that means. Ugh. Forms. And were often created in a maceration process with the flowers and herbs and oil. Uh, distillation technology, as well as most of the imported ingredients, originated in the East. So, Asia. Uh, perfumes were rubbed on or poured onto the user. <laughs> That's a direct quote from the article I was reading because it was too good. Um, and they were often believed to be helpful against different ailments such as fever and indigestion. Well, yeah, because they thought good scents. Yeah, yeah. Everything. Uh, different scents were appropriate for different occasions as well as for men and for women. So men and women used perfumes because people stunk in the olden yeah, days. Yeah, I was going to ask, what were like the bathing practices in Rome? I mean, they had bathhouses and stuff, so, like, arguably better than they were in, like, the medieval times. Fair, yeah. Um, but deodorants didn't come into fashion for a little while. Um, so in addition to personally used, perfumes were also used in food and to freshen the household. Uh, well, we used to freshen the household, but food? I mean, things with, like, we put rose and lavender in food. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. But that's, like, to kind of enhance the taste a little bit. Like, yeah aromatically enhance the taste yeah i mean that's what they were doing too they were just doing it in olden ways ancient ways even don't worry we're coming to a close on rome god damn it this episode is long uh men were also known to have used cosmetics in roman times although it was frowned upon by society um men uh seen carrying mirrors were viewed as effeminate while those using face whitening makeup were thought to be immoral because they were expected to be tanned from working outside even the rich people yeah see this also <laughs> just like completely fucking tracks i yeah like we've been terrible i love the always. idea that somehow being a fucking slob is more masculine <laughs> like i don't know maybe comb your hair and don't stink and women like that more who knows um, the, the main takeaway I have gotten from this coronavirus thing is... <laughs> men don't wash their hands? Men don't wash their hands. <laughs> like, even men I would consider to be very clean are like, yeah, I've started washing my hands every time I use the bathroom. You should have been! You're touching That's things in there. hygiene. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, two of the more acceptable practices were the light use of certain perfumes and moderate hair removal. A man removing too much hair was viewed as effeminate, while removing too little made him seem unrefined. 
The Emperor Elagabalus <laughs> removed all of his body hair and often donned makeup, which caused the Romans much grief, even though he sounds real <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> he sounds like a good time. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the more eye-roll-filled oh, portion of the program. Um, as expected, Christianity and its spread oh, kind of Here killed the fun uh, during the Dark Ages, since they deemed makeup to be deceitful and unappreciative of what the Lord hath given. <laughs> Idealized images of women um, created by male artists hmm. uh, in paintings, frescoes, and sculptures tell us a huge amount about the period's beauty ideals, um, which means like women in European paintings from, you know, the time period, like the dark Middle Ages through pretty much all the time, like starting there, you know? Yeah. Women in European European paintings from these time periods were voluptuous with ivory skin, often offset by deep red lips and flushed cheeks, which in reality would have had to have been created by the use of cosmetics because no right. one looks like that. Your face does, doesn't naturally just do that. Yeah. Yet the, the obvious application of face paint was considered to be dishonest. This is 100% those guys today that said, I don't like girls wear like a natural look. I don't like when they wear too much makeup and then they're like, I literally spent a half an hour trying to look like I didn't wear makeup. Yeah, and they'll, like, post a picture of Taylor Swift, who's obviously wearing makeup, and she looks great. But it's like, oh, so you just mean she's not wearing eyeliner and doesn't have lipstick on. Right. Or yeah. red lipstick. Um, yeah, and that I was... I don't know if there's any good takeaway from this episode, and all our episodes, is that it's men the are men the are worst. garbage. <laughs> Until the end of the 19th century, pale skin was very in. It feels very popular just in general. Yeah, well, and again, the lower classes had to be outside in agricultural jobs, and typically right. light-colored European skin was tanned. So the higher a person was in status, the more time they had to not be outside, which kept their skin pale. Right. Now that I think of it, that kind of tracks, maybe you'll get into this, but like with modern days, it's kind of more popular to be tan, and I think it's because it's switched now where it's like, if you're poor, you're probably working inside like you don't work in the fields anymore actually a very famous person is responsible for the popularity of the tan are we gonna learn who yes okay i'll keep my mouth shut <laughs> so it kept you know if you didn't have to go outside and work the fields you were pale uh thus the highest class of european society were the most pale and european men and women attempted to lighten their skin directly or used white powder to make them look more aristocratic it's yeah, I mean, it's been happening for a long time. Yeah. As well as lead, arsenic and mercury and raw egg whites were employed to prime the skin. That's uh, great. That's cool. Topped with Good. whitening paste to create a lacquer effect foundation. Shiny. Let's bring that back in. Not like the actual materials, but that look. But the lacquer look. Yeah. Your face should look like a porcelain doll. Although physicians cautioned women on the danger of some of the ingredients and the Church of England considered cosmetics to be the work of the devil, <laughs> women continued... didn't the early church believe to be the work of the devil? Men. <laughs> Men, mostly. Sorry, it was just a little too real. <laughs> <laughs> the church, yeah, considered them to be the work of the devil. Women continued to aspire to the virginal white look, applying a substance called Venetian ceruse, as a foundation to the face. Ceruse, or white lead, um, was made of lead and vinegar 
which was naturally a, apparently a pretty good drying agent and was used by surgeons to, quote, dry up moist sores. I so mean... you put this on your face and it, it makes you pale, but it also makes your skin worse. I guess it would, would it guard from infection, like taking the moisture away from something? I mean, it's still not great. Like, I'm not saying it would actually help, but like, no, I can see how like... I think in this case, because you're getting the lead poisoning and you're drying out the protective layer on top of your insides, and that could cause them to crack and form like fissures, that infection that was everywhere uh, during the Elizabethan area, area, wow, era, it just gives it more of an in. So you're putting it on, you're fucking your skin up, you're putting more of it on to cover the fact that you fucked your skin up, and then it's just lead on lead on lead, and mercury in there too. And arsenic. Until you finally, yeah. finally lose your fucking mind. And, and all your, your hair. Off. There may have also been other side effects, like I just alluded to. The fashion for high foreheads around this time could have been due to the fact that lead paint caused hair loss and bald patches. (laughs) So you kind of didn't have a choice. Uh, Women may have been forced to shave or pluck the remaining unsightly patches, with the result their hairline gradually moved further and further backward. Um, Elizabeth I of England, with her white face, large forehead, and red lips, is representative of this look, which was popular for centuries. Yep. Well, you know, it's cool when the queen does it. If I did it, <laughs> you'd look fucking insane. Uh, this look was called the Mask of Youth, and it is the only thing that can make Margot Robbie's face look anything less than perfect. Uh, she was in that movie, Mary Queen of Scots. Oh, I've seen it, yeah. I have not, but I hear it's very accurate in terms of, like, how fucked up her face oh, was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to, like, the you put the lead paint on and then it fucks up your skin and you put more and more on. That's what happened to Elizabeth. Yeah. I think she also got, like, a smallpox or something. Yeah, she had that, smallpox like, and it, like, fucked the face up. So she started yeah, with had thick layers. to really cover it. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't help. N- no, it doesn't. Long term. Not a great solution. It's kind of like um, if you're using, like cheap makeup to cover your acne there's a lot of oil in cheap makeup which then right. causes your skin to break out more so you use more makeup and we're still doing it just without the lead yeah despite numerous drawbacks by 1685 most aristocratic european women and men and men yeah uh were layering on the white face paint as you've seen in marie antoinette mm-hmm. Great uh, except they made them look hot like otherwise oh yeah icky. no it's definitely Marie Antoinette's a very candy-coated, literally, literally uh, yeah. view of 17th century France, 16th, 18th century France, sorry. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you can understand why the peasants hated them. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, in Europe, the mid-18th century was also renowned for being a time when rouge overload was common. <laughs> the beauty ideal suggested... Uh, suggested by portraits at the time was that pale skin with rose-flushed cheeks... Uh, and dark, defined brows were popular. Uh, the flamboyant manner in which uh, rouge was worn was so very apparent that there's no way it could have been intended to look natural. <laughs> um, yeah. I believe the style at the time, especially like during pre-French Revolution, was inverted triangles of rouge. Oh, so, like, yeah. I think I've seen that. It's almost like, so, like clown makeup. Almost. Um, and this was especially true in France which was now the focal point of fashion and the center from which Europe took most of its aesthetics. 
Okay. Except for England, they were doing their own fucking thing. Well, yeah. We'll talk about that. can't follow the French. Um, So, yeah, painting your face was very much a part of life at, like, at court. So, while the French were very Catholic, um, like, French royalty was also, like, all about being, like, garish and stuff, which was refreshing. But it was also that, like, oh, look how much money I have. As you do. Yeah. Uh, Getting dressed and putting makeup on was done in front of an audience, um, uh, if you were an aristocratic woman. Although there was some strong element of performance involved in the ritual with most of the work being done beforehand and without court onlookers. So you did prep work and then you did your fancy shit in front of people. Because God forbid they, you know, see your real face. Well, it it is a lot like that uh, scene in Marie Antoinette where she was trying to get ready and then like people kept coming in and they'd have to do the whole greeting thing. And all of that, like, that actually and happened. Like, yeah, there's a hierarchy to, like, who gets the privilege of doing yeah, this and if you you're ha- the most important person in the room. And you have to greet them all properly and you have to pause to do that. So it could take hours to do your hair, makeup, and get dressed. People just did not have enough to do. No, to do. they didn't. <laughs> That's the whole thing. You <laughs> get too much free time. Because you're getting up, like, when the sun comes up. So it's, like, 6 o'clock in the morning. You spend four hours getting ready. You have a breakfast that takes, like, three hours. And then you just, like, hang out. And then you have a party. And then you go to bed. <laughs> yeah. They were doing a lot in France. Some might say they were doing the most. <laughs> so, yeah, putting makeup on was, like, a big production production literally yeah, that's what I was looking for. Uh, madame de pompadour the long-standing mistress of king louis the i forgot how to read roman numerals just now 14th yep <laughs> king louis the 15th sorry king louis yes shut up i i just i don't no, want it's... readers to uh, readers to write in <laughs> i don't want listeners to write in it is king louis the 15th yeah of france Anyway, this lady, Madame de Pompadour, <laughs> was famously portrayed with noticeably rouged cheeks, and she became so associated with the color that the public uh, deemed that shade to be Pompadour pink. Oh. Yeah. She seemed like a fun lady. Yeah, I like her. Which one was Louis the Fifteenth? I don't... Louis the Fifteenth was not, like, a big deal. Louis the Fourteenth was the Sun King, and then Louis the Sixteenth was the one that got his head chopped off. So Louis he the Fifteenth was, uh, was ripped torn. There, uh, maybe. I don't. I don't think they're necessarily all Louis all the way down. I think there might have been. A, I what, was honestly. Was, I only know about the Fourteenth and the Sixteenth, and don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, Louis the Sixteenth was the. Uh, the, uh, oh no, Madame de Pompadour, I'm looking here, was the official chief mistress of Louis the Fifteenth. Yes. Uh and he was played by Rip Torn in Marie okay. Antoinette. Okay. Um is Madame de Pompadour in Marie Antoinette? No. No. Did they just skip that part? Yeah, well it sounds like uh Well, because I knew there was a, a hot lady that Yeah, that they... wasn't Du Pompadour though. No. It was some other lady. So Madame de Pompadour wore pink blush so much that the people associated that color with her and it was like a trendy thing. Much like we would uh, try to find the same shade of lipstick that Scarlett Johansson is wearing. She's still a popular lady, right? Sure. I, I want I'm to just thinking about the woman but... who, um, she doesn't work with us anymore. She retired, but uh, she realized at some point that I really like the color teal. Because, you know, I had like, a teal coffee mug and, you know, more teal a couple times. It's and a good color. Had, like, teal on my nails once in a while. And then every time I had anything teal, she'd, like, have to point it out. 
It's like, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I do have more of a personality than this color, but anyway. If it makes you feel any better, I do have that with a particular shade of purple. I was going to say, I feel like I also like point out things that are purple to you. Like, look at this purple <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> look, it's purple and yellow. Like, yes, it is. <laughs> you just have an aesthetic. I do. It's very spooky aesthetic. <laughs> So we're going to circle back to those uh, patches of leather that people would put on their faces as if they were fooling anybody. (laughs) So along with the usual whitening pastes and stuff that serve to conceal uneven pigmentation, scars, pockmarks, um, those who could afford to purchase small black patches called mouches, which is the French French word for mouse, or no, fly. It's the French word for fly, which is gross. Ew. Um, but they were made from silk, velvet, satin, taffeta, and they were used to hide imperfections or highlight the porcelain pale skin by contrast. Oh, I see it. So they w- would they wear them like beauty marks? Yes. Like, is that um, the placement? Yeah. Um, okay. It's no coincidence the patches became popular at this time because the ravages of smallpox meant that many people <laughs> were left with uh, gross faces. Yeah. Sticking on a patch was the next best thing to, like, being able to get rid of it. <laughs> Uh, patches were cut into a variety of shapes, including hearts and circles, and were applied oh. to the skin, um, like I said, to mimic beauty marks or to conceal flaws. So they're like the little heart stickers I used to put on my face when I was five. Pretty much. Man, I'm glad I realized that mouche is the French word for fly, because it just makes it that much dumber. <laughs> I assume because they're small and black, they look like yeah, flies. and adhere to your face. Yeah, like I get the association. Kind of a gross association, honestly. It is. It is. Uh, when worn in particular positions, they signify different things. Because if any, if there's anything humans are good at, it's putting more meaning into shit than there needs to be. Uh, if one wore a mouche patch on the right cheek, that showed that you were married, while a decorated left cheek signified that you were engaged. Hmm. A patch worn by the mouth meant that one was up for grabs. Ew. Whereas one at the corner of the eye declared that you were a mistress. <laughs> Uh, In 18th century England, patches took on a political meeting with supporters of the Whigs and Tories wearing patches on opposite sides of the face. We should bring that back. It's like those uh, Irish rings that you wear a specific way. Potter rings, yeah. Yeah, except tiny patches on your face. (laughs) Also, it just made me think of uh, Robin Hood men in tights with the mole that kept moving. Oh, yep. I do remember this. (laughs) This desire for a painted, white-looking face continued until the English Restoration and the French Revolution. Not surprising. Nope. Um, After which makeup was toned down, yet pale skin, as usual, continued to be in fashion because of class and wealth. We could not let it go. (laughs) You mean class and wealth? We had trouble letting this go? I know. It's so weird because we are all equals now. Totally have gotten past this, so it's just really tough to imagine. So... Chaste, respectable women were expected to protect their fine skin from the sun's rays with parasols. Exercise was frowned upon and seen as too much exertion for, quote, delicate ladies. Yeah, English restoration period was garbage. We knew this. If I'm not mistaken, timeline-wise, this is going to be mid-1700s, early 1800s. Sure. When was the revolution? Uh, the American or French? Mm. 1848. Eight? No. No. 1789. Sorry. Yeah. 
There was another French Revolution in 1848. Yes. We don't talk about that one as much. It's less fun. Fewer beheadings. So yeah, we're we're talking like late 1700s, early 1800s, um, right. when this delicate ladies thing kind of took hold in England. Um, <sighs> it was a faux pas to appear to be wearing any makeup, so the more garish and poisonous uh, skin whiteners were less popular as they looked too obvious on the skin, but not because they were killing people. <laughs> Just because we decided it wasn't cool anymore. Yeah. Like vaping. Um, the declaration- <laughs> I'm sorry. Vaping's super cool. <laughs> Speaking of things that are righteous and white. <laughs> um, the declaration of England's Queen Victoria that makeup was vulgar meant that a pale, virtuous look was now preferred. So still needed to wear makeup, just, just different look, kind. Yeah. This is the really the beginning of the no makeup makeup look. Yeah. Uh, the resulting backlash against painted faces meant that women who wanted to create a rosy glow could either resort to pinching their cheeks and biting their lips uh, to encourage a natural flush and also damage your goddamn blood vessels, <laughs> or try some covert shit like using berries to stain their cheeks or wetting expensive tissue paper and then using the dye to stain their lips, which you can oh, do. Yeah. Huh. Don't please, because you don't know where that dye has been. Or what it's made from. Definitely came from a chemical factory somewhere. That's fine. Yeah. White, pale, unmade up skin and luxuriant hair were considered ladylike. Um, and obvious rouging was seen as belonging to the realms of the theater or signifying a woman that was low morals. Mm. Or that had low morals. At the same time, by the 1850s, the production of cosmetics had become a national industry uh, with its center in Paris because the French don't give a fuck. Uh, and it was the puritanical Brits and Americans who thought makeup was rude. Yeah, that sounds right. Because the British were all about not being rude. Uh, to achieve a more natural look, uh, white zinc oxide powder, which is the stuff that lifeguards put on their noses, oh, yeah. was used as it gave the necessary whiteness but looked more natural. Uh, lavender and blue tinted face powders were also popular for evening use because they gave the face a, an incandescent paleness and counteracted the yellow glow of candlelight and lamps. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. I mean, you can still use lavender kind of tinted powders and uh, color correcting like creams to cancel yeah. out kind of yellow like dullness in your skin. It's just basic color wheel stuff. It is. Yeah. We were starting to get it. Although I have to say that the warm light of candlelight can sometimes make you look a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets weird again. The prevalence of tuberculosis during this time period. Oh, dear. And its hold on the imagination of writers and artists who were men uh, yeah. led to the reverence for, quote, consumptive beauty. Right. I Yeah, I have heard about this. As women sought to appear to have perfect white skin using less while using less makeup, uh, skin lightening and skin care and ingestibles became popular. Lotions containing hydrochloric acid or muriatic acid, cool. a.k.a. something they use to preserve corpses. And Very what I am, cool. I'm pretty sure that Jeffrey Dahmer tried to inject in his victim's brain uh. more than once. <laughs> Ammonium, hydrogen peroxide, arsenic, and mercury compounds were all the rage for uh, their freckle and pigmentation fading. 
Jesus. properties. So yeah. basically, the look these uh, women were told they needed to have uh, was very, very pale, um, red cheeks because uh, tuberculosis causes you to cough, which causes the blood vessels in your face to burst, giving you very red cheeks. It's sexy to look like you're dying, Emily. And red lips because, you know, you're hacking up blood. Blood. Yeah. That was the look. Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, a famous beauty of the time, Lola Montez, who was born in 1821 in Ireland as Marie Dolores Eliza Rosanna <laughs> Gilbert. Wow, that's super Irish. <laughs> Countess of Lansfeld, began a personal crusade to steer women away from artificial cosmetics. So, like, insane, like, <laughs> culturally the appropriating poisonous. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, hey, stop putting lead on your skin. Good for her. And her book, The uh, Arts of Beauty, which was published not long before her death at age 40, uh, Montez shared tips and tricks along with recipes gathered from across Europe, many of which promoted the virtues of skin whitening. So, close. Not quite there. <laughs> she had better intentions than... yeah. Accredited to the court of Spain, a recipe promised a polished whiteness to the neck and arms. Uh, and that recipe was to infuse wheat bran, well sifted for four hours in white vinegar, add it to five yolks of egg and two grains of ambergris, and distill the whole thing. Sounds like a lot of work, but at least it isn't lead. And they were just making their own serums. Yeah. If you're going to be putting any acid on your face, vinegar, like, it's arguably better than acid like yeah actual acid well especially not like it's not like just like pure vinegar you're like you're including it with other things yeah uh, montez was one of many women in the early victorian era who crusaded for the moderate use of makeup and to end quote artifice in beauty but it didn't last even before queen victoria's death the use of skin whiteners and other cosmetics such as rouge were becoming popular among the women of all classes on the positive side, less harmful products for achieving fair skin were discovered, and the rise of women's journals meant that women could share these findings and became much more savvy and informed about potentially harmful whiteners like arsenic and lead. Good, good. French chalk and powder of magnesia achieved a more natural finish and were unlikely to poison the wearer. <laughs> By the end of the century... Cosmetics manufacturing was beginning to be a big business, and attitudes were changing quickly. So, um, well into the 1900s, white lead-based powders were sold all over Western Europe and the United States still. It only took us four millennia. Uh, I mean, we were still doing it into the, 19th, uh, the 1900s, so it was like 1930 before we finally right. phased it all out. But we found things that were much cheaper and much better, so... Which I'm guessing, like, if we hadn't, we probably still would be using Probably. It's not like we would have smartened up and said, oh, maybe we should just not do this anymore. It's like, no, we found a better substitute for it, so we can do this now. So around 1910, makeup became fashionable in the United States and Europe. Um, colored makeup was introduced in Paris upon the arrival of the Russian ballet in 1910, mm. where uh, ochres and crimsons were the most typical shades. So reds, yellows, kind of like more naturally occurring colors. Yeah. Uh, the Daily Mirror Beauty book showed that cosmetics were now acceptable for the literate classes to wear. Everybody can do it. Progress. Equality. With that being said, men often saw rouge as a mark of sex and sin, and rouging was considered an admission of ugliness. 
just wait. In 1915, a Kansas legislature proposed to make it a misdemeanor for women under the age of 40 to wear cosmetics, quote, for the purposes of creating a false impression. Leave it to fucking Kansas to legislate what age you can start wearing makeup. Oh, my God. And, of course, you have to wait until, like, you're after, like, 40 by that time. Not the age of 40. The age of 44. 44. I don't know if you're running president and that makes it okay. Ah, Jesus. Okay. So this brings us to the later-ish 1900s when styles started changing rapidly and we were getting marginally better at medicine and recognizing when things (laughs) will kill us. Good, good. Uh, This is also about when all of those Beauty Through the Ages YouTube videos begin. So I'm going Uh to (laughs) close out our history portion with kind of a uh, blurb on each decade and like what was super popular then without going like as uh ancient italy deep into (laughs) yeah when trends start changing like within years and not like centuries it's yeah so uh basically i'm gonna present to you a timeline cool we are almost done way to go everybody (laughs) so the 1920s the flapper look came into fashion for the first time, and with it, increased cosmetics use. So dark eye shadows and liners, red lipstick, red nail polish, and the suntan, which was popularized mm. by an accidentally sunburned Coco Chanel. Ah. She came back from the French Riviera with a sunburn. It started to fade. It looked nice. People saw it and were like, oh, damn. And that's how we got the suntan. Hmm. Yeah, she can, she can get credit for that. That's great. Um, Max Factor, a Polish-American cosmetician and former cosmetics expert for the Russian royal family, invented the word makeup and introduced society makeup to the general public, enabling women to emulate the looks of their favorite movie stars. So the first American, like, popular cosmetics company, Max, Max Factor. Factor. Which like, is I just a dude's name. Actually a guy's name. <laughs> which leads us to the 1930s. Uh, Women began noticing a trend with actresses and soon followed suit. Super thin eyebrows. The Mm. trend of shaving off eyebrows and drawing them in became commonplace during this time period. The look was paired with pastel shades of eyeshadow, dark pink lipsticks, and blush. Not all of that is bad. Not all of that's bad. The 1940s. World War II began in the 40s, apparently. Really? Uh, and women joined the workforce in a way that they never had before. So because of this, as well as because wartime rations made uh, excess seem inappropriate, makeup took on a more practical look. So no more smoky eyes and dark lips. Women now preferred light eye makeup, such as light brown eyeshadow and light mascara. Uh, but the pinup girl look also came famous mm, and yeah. uh, red lips were back in style. So basically... If you were just a working class lady, it was very, like, toned down. It was more to, like, even out the skin tone and just present, like, a nice polished look. Kind of like a neutral face and then a very bold lip. Yeah. Um, And not for nothing, like, rations also cause, like, stockings to become very uh, rare. So in order to look like they were still wearing stockings because, God forbid, you just had legs, (laughs) um, they would use pancake makeup and then use an eyeliner to draw the line of the stocking up the back of their leg. Yeah, I have heard that. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't seem messy. Like, it doesn't seem very neat, like, uh, because pancake makeup, you know, smudges. Yeah. Just a lot of ruined chairs, I assume. (laughs) 
I mean, like, if you hug someone now and, like, put your face on it, you leave a mark. Everywhere, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that leads us to the 1950s and the end of World War II, which allowed for more freedom in makeup and personal expression because we weren't uh, so worried about, I don't know, the Nazis. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, women took that opportunity to have a little bit more fun. So while some women wore winged eyeliner uh, made popular by Marilyn Monroe uh, in the film The Asphalt Jungle, also popular during this time were creamy foundations instead of powder and red or pink lipsticks. Hmm. The 1960s. Uh, The model Twiggy, which I assume all of us know. Classic, yes. I'm also going to have pictures of this on the slideshow, so don't, like, just take my descriptions. This is why you follow us on Instagram. You do follow us on Instagram. You better follow us on Instagram. Uh, so Twiggy brought the, quote, London look to America in the 60s with bold eyelashes, heavy mascara, bright white eyeshadow, and bare lips. Makeup focused primarily on the eyes with little color elsewhere, which also helped bring that principle of highlight one part of the face. Right. So that kind of leads us to the 1970s. <laughs> Because everyone grew tired of exaggerated eye makeup and women went back to... a lot of work. Yeah. uh, Women went back to a more natural look. Uh, In fact, it was not at all uncommon for women to skip eyeshadow altogether in the 70s. Although mascara was still big during this time period. Just not literally as big (laughs) as it was in the 60s. Um, Light eyeshadow and blush were popular. And giving a light sheer look was very much in style. You know, because the 70s, like, you know... Yeah. I mean, I so yeah, yeah, like the 60s are kind of modish and like really dramatic makeup. And then I pictured like 70s, get a little more hippie, a little less like just a little more casual. Yeah. Uh, but that leads us to the 80s. <laughs> uh, the 80s were a very fun time for experimenting with makeup. So God. disco was still a thing and women would go full glam with exaggerated tones and colors to capture their looks in saturated photos. Uh, bright blush eyeshadows lipsticks they were all they were worn by male and female rock stars and performers alike thanks david bowie yeah that glam rock look really took off and like men started dipping back into like eye makeup actually mostly just eye makeup like if you look at historically like lipstick has never really been yeah that's a good point yeah Uh, it's mostly just been the eyes um which to be fair lipstick is kind of a pain in the ass even if it is my personal favorite product I honestly don't bother with makeup off or no, I bother with makeup. I love makeup <laughs> um, with lipstick primarily just because like my, the first thing I do in the morning is I make myself a thermos of coffee. And if I'm wearing lipstick, it's gone by like 10 a.m. And it's just I'm too lazy to bring it with me and reapply. <laughs> I carry 11, 12 lipsticks in my purse. Um, Damn, that's more lipsticks than I own. <laughs> like I said, it's my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite thing. Um and a lot of them are like shears and stuff, but I don't eat or drink coffee until I get to work. So then I do that and then I like can put lipstick on and then it's good until lunch. Say, so, well, you got to look nice for the bus. <sighs> no, it's full of heathens. <laughs> Monsters and heathens, Sarah. Uh, so yeah, the 80s were like when we all said fuck it and Madonna brought the clubbing look with neon eyeshadow and lipsticks and all of that shit in. Great. It was I wild it. times. I know the people who actually lived through the 80s said the 80s were trash, but on a, the 80s seemed kind of fun. There were some very good looks, even if everyone was doing cocaine and being low-key <laughs> racist. <laughs> so that leads us to the 90s, arguably be one of the greatest times in makeup history. I mean, obviously. I just, I have a picture of me circa 1998 
uh, it may have been like fifth or sixth grade. I'd just gotten my first flute to play in <laughs> band. <laughs> There's a picture of me sitting at the piano bench playing my flute. And I have like, I was such a tomboy. So I was like, it's like a flannel shirt, basically. And then I have blue eyeshadow from like right up all the way to my eyebrows. And it's a great look, honestly. Well, uh, contrary to the look that you've just described, uh, following the 80s when everything was bright and neon, the 90s took a different approach. Uh, Foundation and neutral eyeshadows and blushes became trendy. Light mascara and subtle colors were key. And women began wearing nude shades of lipstick along with lip liner in pink and brown tones. I will say... I remember lip liner. Worst things to come out of the 90s was brown lip liner and nude lipstick. (laughs) It's horrid. Yeah. It was fun while it lasted, but not a good look. Uh, And that's where the article I was getting these descriptions cuts off. So I added my own commentary on the 2000s. (laughs) I was going to say, because who gives a shit after 1999? I think we all remember the tiny eyebrows and metallic eyeshadow and frosted lipstick from the early 2000s. Yep. That was junior high. That was prime. I'm sorry everyone ruined their their eyebrows so hardcore. See, luckily, this is what I'm fortunate. Like, I have very light and very thin eyebrows naturally. Like, I've never had to pluck or anything. Um, so that's been nice. I just have eyebrows. Like, I didn't pluck but them particularly. But now they're, like, not bushy enough to be, like, in style. Luckily, in the early 2000s, back when Gwen Stefani convinced everybody to ruin their fucking eyebrows, I was still too young to do that. Nice. Good. Good work. Yeah. So when I was in, you know, high school starting in, like, 2005, we were starting to... uh go back to normal fucking eyebrows and actually i don't think i started like filling my eyebrows in until college yeah i honestly didn't pay any attention to my eyebrows at all until you convinced me to buy boy brow from glass and is it not amazing i love it it's It's so good Um, we'll get to that in just a second and the longest non-shane or avalon featuring episode (laughs) we've ever done and of course it's about makeup yeah it was a long drive to get there but now you know how we got here, makeup-wise. Not a lot has changed, like, in terms no. of, of what we want for looks. I mean, no one's doing anything real crazy like adding patches, leather patches to their face anymore. But, I mean, generally, it's you make your skin look nice, and then you do something to make your eyes stand out, and then you put on some lipstick and some blush. I, mean, I think it was Jeremy Renner on an Ellen, because Jeremy Renner used to be a makeup artist. Um, he said, brows lips and cheeks frame the face like that's where you start (laughs) good advice jeremy renner like i said he used to be a makeup artist Uh, so with all of this in mind i'm not going to close this episode by yelling at people about morality because no one will listen but it is important for me to tell you guys how easy it is to not buy cosmetics that have been tested on animals (laughs) It is not necessary. And like, I don't mean buying vegan makeup because, you know, your makeup brushes should be vegan because in non-vegan makeup brushes, they can use like rabbit hair and stuff. And that's, you don't need to use a synthetic, like Jesus Christ, people. Yeah, no, you don't need fancy brushes. But like some makeups contain lanolin, sheep sweat, (laughs) uh, beeswax and ground up beetles. And these are not vegan. Um, but please keep in mind that beekeepers and the beeswax trade are keeping bees alive. So there's that. But there's literally no reason that your makeup needs to be tested on animals, clearly. No. 
And there are a lot of affordable brands that do not test on animals, like the aforementioned Wet and Wild. And um, really, huh? Yeah, yeah. Wet and Wild is uh, 100% cr- cruelty free. Good for them. Uh, but if a brand sells their products in China, they are legally required in China to test on animals um, because of some bullshit regulation that. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, do a little bit of research. Be responsible. A bunny does not need to see if your lipstick is going to be poisonous or not. I mean, theoretically, your lipstick should be made with stuff that is not poisonous to begin with. I would hope so. And also, I'd like to make a recommendation to do a little bit of extra research and try supporting brands that are owned and operated by people of color. Mm-hmm. You know, they've had kind of a hard time in the beauty beauty industry, but there are a lot of brands like uh, Beauty Bakery is really nice. Um, mm. Super choice eyeshadow palette uh, that I got from them. And uh, obviously... Fenty. Uh, Oh, yeah. Rihanna knows her shit. So that leads us to the very end of this episode where we are going to make some recommendations if you want nice makeup. (sighs) So you were talking about boy brow, Sarah. Boy brow from, is it Glossier? Glossier. Okay, yeah. Love it. Or Glossier if you're from the (laughs) Midwest or the South. I mean, is it La Croix or La Croix? And it's it's La Croix. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it's glossier because it's a white sometimes lady from Sometimes you gotta say Los it the Angeles. fancy way. Sometimes you take it the <laughs> you'd say it the Americanized way. Um, I like them. I've been using Bare Minerals Foundation forever. I've I found that. Um, oh shit! I also forgot to mention if you are like even if you don't support. Uh, well, you should. But brands that are owned by people of color, uh, brands that offer a wide range of shades and like their uh, foundations and uh, concealers. Yeah, because it's not like there's only five yeah. shades of everyone deserves skin the right and to four find... of them are white. <laughs> yeah, so that's something to keep in mind when you're buying stuff. But yeah. Um, yeah, Glossier has been. I use a lot of their stuff. Yeah, I think I tried a bunch. Just like I think their Black Friday sale, I finally dove in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, other than their eyeliner, which I wasn't impressed with, the rest has been very good. I really like their like I forget what they're called. They're like the eyeshadow creams. But they little come in like little test tubes. I can't remember what they're I don't called. remember like what the brand name is now. Um, but those are nice. Yeah. I use Boy Brow every day. Simple. Uh, cloud paint I use every day. It's their blush. It's uh, like a gel. Ooh. Uh, I also use their serum because I'm garbage who falls for anything. <laughs> and uh, their mascara. <laughs> yeah, I do like their mascara a lot. Yeah, it doesn't uh, stick because I used to have a problem with my eyelash sticking to my eyelid. <laughs> Yeah, just because the way my eyelashes are shaped and it doesn't do that, so I don't have just one eye that's like stuck open all the time. Tarte is also really good, but mm, um, yeah, my my big recommendation is actually uh, the Beauty Bakery Proof in the Pudding uh, eyeshadow com- uh, palette. Is that a palette? Yeah, it's just shades of like browns and golds and stuff, and nice, um, which is all I wear. Yeah, uh, it's really nice neutrals. But like I said, it is a black owned business and they do a lot of like highlighters and uh, like contouring stuff that is made for darker skin tones, which is really cool because like I personally don't know because I'm the palest person alive. But I hear it is very difficult to find like contouring powder that works for darker skin. Right. That. Yeah, of course. Um, Anyway, so that is as much as I can tell you about makeup. We've been talking for an hour and a half, probably like 45 minutes. That's going to get cut. But (laughs) all the parts where we sounded dumb and didn't know who any of the French kings were. Oh, God. Just wait for the French aristocracy episode. Uh, Oh, God, no. You you go right ahead. Not going to do a Marie Antoinette episode yet. Um, 
if you have recommendations for us or actually don't tell me if I pronounced anything wrong. I almost definitely did. Um, We are on Twitter at Afternoonified, Instagram at Afternoonified, where there will be pictures of a lot of this. Follow the Instagram. I work very hard on it. She does. Uh, Sarah does so much good work on the Instagram. And I'm not just saying that because the graphic for the teaser today was Emily centered. (laughs) Um, We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash getafternoonified. But that's pretty much just repost from the Instagram. Yeah. Uh, We also have a website, getafternoonified.com, where you can listen to old episodes. You can donate. um, You can find money. Yeah, and if you don't want to just give us money, you can also buy some merch, um, which is very good merch. And uh, rate, review, subscribe, all of that fun stuff. And uh, just do what you want, makeup-wise. We don't give a shit. You do you. (laughs) Do what's fun. Just don't put lead on your face. No. All right. Don't do lead. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. We love you. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do, a podcast, if you will, that happens some weeks, not all. Don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you. Shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents. Mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.